Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx Magazine. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Today's story is Ice, written by Chad Brofman and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Ice by Chad Brofman If I tiptoed, terror would win, and I'd turn back. So I sucked in through my nose, then pushed out through my pursed lips, still trekking forward. Thin gray puffs of breath whirled and burned off in the bitter wind as I marched across the uneven expanse of ice. Every time I thought about the frozen lake beneath my feet, I turned my mind to other things like the latest wasteland of fake news, the unpaid insurance bills, or my son's full eyes and little warm hands. My new sled scraped dutifully behind me, jostling against the rigid folds, bouncing its contents. A 12-gallon bucket with camouflage cushioned seat, a state-of-the-art tip-up still wrapped in plastic, a cornflower blue auger snagged on Facebook Marketplace, and all the tackle some cocky 20-something salesman from the sporting goods store insisted on. I felt good about my supplies, and pretty roughneck in my new Carhartt overalls and jacket. I'd always thought that was the mark of a real badass, a man who buys his clothes from the local tractor and seed supply. Still, every step forward was a battle, a test of true fatherhood. My legs shook, not violently, but enough to heckle me, never letting me forget that I was scared shitless. This isn't about you, I chided myself. Cowboy up. It was just after sundown on a February night in Upper Michigan. Pink-purple swaths smeared the sky, blending with the meager starlight just enough to illuminate the paths where other fishermen had tramped. At least twenty yards from shore, well past the point of no return, sat two shanties both seemingly empty, like desolate cabins on a prairie, abandoned during hard times. Folks seeking better places, better chances. There was a lone northern goshawk circling overhead, giving rapid-fire warning of a possible threat. A round of kee-kee-kee-kee-kees wobbled across the otherwise silent stretch. Cautionary lines from all the how-to videos turned in my head. Clear ice is strongest, and never go by yourself. The former was a best-case scenario, a crossing of fingers for optimal conditions. And the latter? Well, that wasn't going to happen. I had to fumble through the ins and outs of this ice-fishing racket alone, field my way through the risks, the pitfalls. Only then could I teach my son with a head held high or at least be able to fake some courage with a slice of believability. 
Samuel, my seven-year-old, had unknowingly pistol-whipped me with his words, yet again. Justin's dad takes him fishing on the ice. Why don't we do that? He'd have caused less damage with a swift punch to the balls. All my self-doubts and inadequacies rose like bile. Those round irises, though. So brown, so rich. I remember asking the doctor when Samuel was born if peepers were supposed to be that big. I made sure to split the difference between the shanties, situating mine at least a stone's throw away. Not because I was practicing any YouTube ice fisherman etiquette, but rather fearful they might not be empty after all. That someone would watch through the flap, witness my butterfingers as I took a first stab at this. As I unloaded the duffel bag, a frozen thunderclap boomed across the open space, like the ice had split in two. I paused, listening to the lake groaning as if it was sick. The instinct to slip the straps back over my shoulders and scurry back to shore loomed large. But I resisted, inhaled the brisk air and let it burn my lungs. Then I dumped the tent from its bag and pulled on the sides until they clicked into place. I took off my gloves to light the propane heater. But 15 degrees is brutal in a treeless plain. Soon enough, my fingers were stuffed back into their moisture-wicking mitts. Another rumble from below. This one raced the length of the lake, zipping by like a freight train. My heart felt as if it might pound its way into my mouth, and my stomach began to clench. I took in another wintry gasp, held it, then let it go while reaching for the auger. It took some doing, but eventually the dull blades punched through. I heaved upward, and a rush of water and ice chunks spread out from the hole. It was a good feeling. I had set up a jig beforehand, so I pierced a couple of wax worms through the hook, watched them squirm, then wiped their biscuit-colored guts on my bibs and dropped in the line. I reeled it out with a 12-count, just the way the thick man with a red mustache and throaty voice did on the Michigan Outdoors channel. So you think you want to ice fish? He'd asked, staring down the camera as he'd loosed his reel with one hand and stroked his grassy whiskers with the other. The hawk squawked another round of key, key, keys into the gloaming, now faded to royal black. Even so, I could see my breaths dissipating into the even tide like little phantoms. I donned my headlamp, then stopped so I could hear the wind howl through. Thin blue lights shone on the milky ice. The stillness was spiritual. I understood why men say such endeavors are their church. The image of bringing home a hard-fought catch pulsed through me like firewater. I pictured my son's prideful grin as I held up a slew of slick golden yellow perch, dorsal fins fanned out like mini umbrellas. And I remembered the time I taught myself to drywall because Justin's dad did their entire house by himself. Samuel's eyes, whiter than ever, the color of coffee and walnuts, desperate to mud the smoothest joints of all time, well, more seamless than Justin's damn dad's at least. I slathered on the compound as if frosting cakes for a wedding reception, each coat needing more sanding than the last, swipes of plaster swelling high, starting to resemble the porcupine foothills. Afterwards, upon first seeing Samuel's new room, my wife gasped, then chuckled, made a joke about goiters. But she drew silent and cast down her head when I didn't laugh. A pole bobbed, jolted in my grip. It was ethereal. I set the hook, counted to three, 
and yanked up my first catch. A rock bass. Flat body as if it had been ironed. Face was blunt, nose stubby. Gray-green and spotted all over. In the low light of the lamp's LED bulb, its eyes were red, glossy. I set it against the ruler engraved on the edge of my sled. Eight inches. A keeper. Barely. Ridiculous to be smiling like a child, I thought. Even more absurd that a snickerer slipped out. I unhooked it with my pliers, cursed it for swallowing the hook so deep. I laid it down, watched it toss and flop. A bit sadistic, but all parts of the game. For a moment, I wondered if it could feel fear, self-doubt, or if it could only live in the moment. No looking back. No looking ahead. Next, a smallmouth, according to my species chart. And I called to mind the gruffy old man at Young's party store as he put the cottage cheese container full of bait in my palm. These fidgety buggers'll catch anything with a fucking fin, he'd rasped. Then he crushed out a cigarette, ducked behind the counter and began rummaging, a ream of expletives pouring forth, a unique blend of fucks, cocksuckers, and shit asses. The man's life story revealed in the span of a dozen syllables. When he reappeared, there were two Phillips screwdrivers in his hand, both a bit stripped. He must have read the puzzlement on my face. You're a fucking greenhorn, ain't ya? Trust me, put em in your damn pocket. If the time ever comes, you'll know why I gave them to ya. I nodded, shoved them in my overalls. Six keeper fish in all, a beautiful mix of perch and bass, plus a single ornery pike that bit me when I barehanded the hook from its mouth a red line forming in the crotch of my thumb and index finger. I was far from empty creeled, certain to warrant some laurels at home. Then, the loudest ice kaboom yet. It traveled the path I'd taken out, all the way to shore, and my trepidations reignited like gas to flame. The idea that mere inches of ice was the only thing keeping me from plunging feet first into the murky, frigid water bulleted to the forefront again, making my bladder pang. With that, I gathered everything onto my sled and shouldered the shanty straps. Deep down, I knew it was only brain tricks, that the last blast hadn't ruptured the trail to my truck. Still, I took a wider route back veering toward a jut of land east of the launch, trying to avoid the rifts, now a mile wide in my imagination. I skated toward shore, one foot, then the other, before I dropped like a boulder. Never envisioned it that way. Like setting in a ducking booth and someone's ball strikes the target. It was always slower in my mind, a gradual sinking. The reality was the current tugged at my lower half like a magnet and my hands scrambled to latch onto something. Anything. I'd walked across a weakened patch of ice, fed by warmer spring water, falling into it like all the research had cautioned against. Chest underwater, I pawed at the ice, keeping my head just above the surface. With each grope, my hand slid backward. I was a frantic dog, unable to find its bone. Though I wasn't gaining traction, I wasn't losing any either. But with every passing second, my waterlogged legs grew heavier. So I stopped moving praying the idleness could steady me, if only for a moment. I lifted one arm at a time, slipping free of the shanty's nylon straps. Though the chill had begun to whelm, I could still feel the heft of the laden gear let loose, drifting down. 
With all the stirring, I slid further, too. Water fingered my neck and chin. I tilted my head back to keep my mouth free, and I kicked and kicked. Then my foot caught. Weeds, I thought. After jiggling more, though, I knew I had tangled myself in the metal ribs of the shanty that I'd just released. Stars poked through the darkness like tiny flashlights against a threadbare blanket, their shine offering a morsel of consolation as I held stock still. As sure as the numbness set in, I knew I couldn't tread much longer. There was a fleeting flash of warmth as the piss swirled around my groin. Only then did the cold truly register. My cheeks, my nose, my ears. I tried calling on God to calm my thrashing heart. That's when the string line full of fish floated beside me. Samuel would never see my catch. The beautiful dead pike lingered near, starlight reflecting from its creamy white underbelly, and I couldn't stop the tears. I wondered if God was answering me at all, giving me permission to die. A half dozen cars had gone by, and I tried picturing the drivers' faces, maybe listening to the Saturday country countdown and singing with their spouses, or someone texting a lover, trying to stay inside the lane, and me, hovering like driftwood mere yards away. My eyes closed, and I saw Samuel's face, his penny-hued gaze, that devil-may-care smirk. An inexplicable surge shot through me like a firebolt. All at once, I was someone else, someplace else. Without thinking, I plunged below, scrambled to untangle my foot. It was darker than I'd imagined. Still, something loosened. But when I twisted upward, I lost direction. Couldn't have gone far. The opening had to be just overhead. I pushed on the ice from underneath in a lake-weighted slowness, my eyes bulging. The terror crashed and plucked as I fought to hold my breath. Strange how I could sense my own wits flattening. A spasm tore through my spleen, and I summoned God again. He did not come as a winged caricature, nor in some artist's romantic rendition. Rather, I felt him, everywhere. In the brilliance of Sirius, in all the sky, he refracted through the ice into what would surely be my freshwater grave. I felt myself starting to let go, heart fluttering like pondweed. That's when I felt the tip of one of the screwdrivers jab my thigh. I jerked both from my pockets, and my face struck the ice, a sickening, remarkable thud, unlike any friction I'd ever known. I knew the cut was deep. I was grateful I couldn't see the blood, the torn skin. I dug the steel shanks into the wall above me, pulled myself hand over hand until I saw the light where I'd first fallen through. With all my might, I cleaved toward the opening until my arm rose out of the water, into the air. Then I thrust my head back into this life, gasping like a newborn freed from the womb. I stabbed both screwdrivers atop the ice and hoisted my upper half to safety before going slack, breaths dissipating like cigar smoke. I rolled onto my side, spotted my truck. So damn close. A world away. As I trudged shore empty-handed, a semi passed by. Interior lights on. The driver didn't notice me. Never even turned his head. I stripped down to my long johns. My teeth chattered hard. Felt as if the enamel was crumbling like bread crust. The key was still in the visor, and with trembling hand, I tried putting it into the ignition, but missed. Again and again. 
Finally, the engine roared to life. I couldn't feel the flesh on my back against the seat, so I cranked up the heater, catching a glance of myself in the rearview mirror. The gash on my forehead crooked to just below my left eye, and the blood had frozen, ropey and rusted against my temple. The icicles that had formed in my hair were melting down my spine into the crack of my ass, and my inhales were still quick, through my nose, then out through my mouth like popped balloons. I couldn't feel my foot on the gas either, but the speedometer read 50, the street sign 25. Not sure I could have slowed if I wanted to. Still felt like I was floating, just outside myself. Gravity was tugging, but there was no bulk for it to lock onto. My innards were hollowed out, scaffolding and bone. I seesawed past our drive, slid sideways into a snowbank. Don't recall opening or closing any doors. As I lumbered toward the house, the Chevy still sissed behind me, and the domed light glowed a cloudy yellow in the periphery. Once inside, I plodded past my wife sitting on the couch, wrapped in an afghan she'd crocheted herself, wavy patterns of kale green and bell pepper orange. Vanna White was on the television, flipping those big block letters, smiling wide as a circus gesture. I tried barreling up the stairs, forgetting my legs were still wooden. Rather, I banged my way to Samuel's room, heat from the furnace pricking my nerves alive. Before entering, I paused, drew in a warm breath, then crept inside. There he lay. Open him, son. Just a glimpse of your beech bark eyes. That's all I need. I knew they were flitting behind those tiny lids, watching big dreams unfurl. My heart squeezed like a dish rag, and a sob burst free, one I'd been holding since I was born. I bit into a knuckle, only stopping when tooth grated cartilage. I could hear my wife calling for me, her feet pattering up the stairs. Honey, what's happening? Her voice cracking with panic. I bowed my head, rubbed my forehead with my palm, and the wound reopened, drops of life pooling on the white carpet, red as beetroot in the moonbeam streaming through the window. I dabbed at my face, the acrid smell of fish slime flooding my nostrils. In the hall, my wife's shouts grew louder. What's happening? There's blood on the... Her words broke off as her footsteps clacked faster, closer. From behind my fingers, I peeked at Samuel again, still gambling in cloudland. More beads spilled down across my eyelids, landing on my lips. A deluge of saltiness sweeped onto my tongue, rich and metallic. But this time, I defied the impulse to wipe away the mess. The sacred, beautiful mess. You've just listened to Ice by Chad Broffman. Welcome to the post-story portion of the podcast. I'm Melissa Collings, joined as always by one of my favorites, J.W. McAteer. Hello. Today we have Chad on the show to talk about the short story you just heard and life as a writer. Welcome, Chad. Uh, Good morning, J.W. and Melissa. Thanks for having me. We are so glad that you're here. Ever since George shot Lenny in Of Mice and Men, and the boys from Lord of the Flies pushed a boulder onto poor Peggy's head, and Bob Ewell attacked (laughs) Jim and Scout after the Halloween pageant, Chad has been captivated by the power of literature. In a line, Chad describes himself as a teacher, author, and most importantly, a family man. From his background, it is obvious that he belongs in the writing world. 
Chad is prolific as a writer, and his work can be found in multiple publications and has won several awards. So let's find out more. Who is Chad Brofman? Well, Chad Brofman uh, is a Michigander through and through, born and raised, uh, minus a little two-year stint in Georgia, which I can talk about later, but... um, I'm not so addicted to Michigan when I'm that guy that turns his hand over and points to his palm, you know, when uh, I've not heard of that before. Oh, it's annoying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They point to their fingers to say, I live here because Michigan's the mitten. Oh, Uh, oh, good to know. See, we didn't even know. I was such outsiders. (laughs) Uh, So I just tell people that I, um, I was born and raised in Southern Michigan and I now live in Northern Michigan, uh, up by the Mackinac Bridge, uh, mm-hmm. in a in a beautiful little town called Harbor Springs. It uh, sounds pretty. I know. I agree. You know what? It is really beautiful, and I'm to that point now where uh, I have to confess and say that I actually lie because people will say, "Oh my gosh, isn't it miserable the winters?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, don't ever come here. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> don't move here." Uh, so I earned my undergraduate degree in finance from Michigan State. Um, I was completely motivated by money. I wanted to buy my first car that had the top down and work in a skyscraper and all of those things. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it didn't take me long to realize that um, I my motivations were somewhat misguided. I think I was. Mm. <laughs> I think I was in the banking business world for about two years where my heart finally prevailed uh, over my head and I uh, admitted to myself that I I think I knew all along that I wanted to be a teacher but it didn't necessarily um, align with my uh, childhood visions of a lucrative lifestyle sure yeah, sure. yeah. but uh, when Something I really you have to think about mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I really did listen to my heart, it was like, okay, this is what I, I should be doing and I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I have no regrets, and, and there's nothing, uh, I think banking and business is a noble and essential um, pursuit, absolutely. I just, I realized that I needed to be on the, the other end um, rather than funding the hope. I wanted to help develop the dreamers themselves, I think, is what it came yeah. out. Great, Yeah. I really like that. And you know, it's not for everybody, but some people have a place in finance and it's okay that your place is not there. But I I love that, that you followed your heart. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, anytime I've done an interview or or a podcast, I always, my hope, my end goal hopefully is that just at least one listener will take some modicum of, of inspiration. So uh, just to go along with that uh, one step further, I remember I was I was conflicted because I'd worked so hard to to get to that place. But I called uh, a mentor that I looked up to, still do, um, and, and and I wanted to ask his advice. And he always had this way of simplifying everything. And this was years ago, so there was no cell phone. So I called him like really late at night. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> I remember he answered it and he heard my voice and he said, this better be good. uh, I said, well, it kind of is. I said, I, I I think I want to be a teacher. And then there's this like moment of silence. And then he said, well, then go be one. And it was like this shocking 
like, oh my gosh, it's really not that complicated. Like, <laughs> none of this other stuff matters. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say to, to listeners, sometimes I think we overcomplicate big decisions like that, but when yeah. you strip it down to the bare bone and, and just listen to your heart of hearts, you kind of already know what you need to do or want to do. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's great. It is hard though. Yeah, it is. I've, I've always been told work put in does not necessarily mean more work put in. Even though you know you you were talking about feeling guilty that you had spent so much time on your career, I felt the same. You know, my career in medicine, and I think, you know, I've spent so much time getting this this degree. I should do something in it. But time spent doesn't equal or necessitate. Is that a word? Yeah, more time spent. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 absolutely. But it does. I will say because I I made a career change after college. I, I worked in insurance for a little while, and I was advancing and learning and doing all kinds of things. But I realized I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, why am I doing this? <clears throat> and so I went back to school and switched careers. But it was it was heartbreaking because I didn't have the experience that was needed. So I had to kind of go from a you know mid level job to entry level. Oh, and that's, that's a so challenge yeah. because also the longer you stay into something, the more kind of debt you take on, the more responsive, yeah. but the harder it does get harder. So you're absolutely right that it's a simple decision, but there are going to be impacts. Oh, Definitely. absolutely. Right. So, and, but in the end, you'll feel so much better if you just go ahead and do And it didn't take me long to kind of catch back up because you have that experience and you can kind of, you know, you just do your thing. So anyway. Yeah. Right. And there's, I, I have, there's <laughs> absolutely no regrets. I mean, I, I know that the profession is, is kind of shifting and morphing and some might even say floundering right now. Yeah. I have no regrets. And, um, you know, I was just thinking as, as we were talking uh, about a recent workshop that I was in and uh, I wrote a story, a quick story. It was, it was basically a, a public school teacher journaling their last year um, mm. of teaching and it, and it received, you know, some, some pretty good feedback. But then when I, I read it to someone who wasn't a teacher. I remember their response was like, wow, you, this person seems quite bitter. And I said, oh, no, 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 you, you don't get it. it. Yes, it's a raw piece. It doesn't sugarcoat the weariness or exhaustion or the hands are tied circumstances in the system right now. Yeah. Um, but no, through, through all of the, the gutting that sometimes happens, you know, I think about losing students to suicide or cancer or drugs and uh, mm. all of the late night curriculum mapping and, and all of the rubbish that goes with it. There mm. are beautiful moments in this profession that have absolutely taken my breath away. Uh, Aww, I yeah. love that so much. Yeah. There's slices so... of life. No other profession can, can, can even come close to competing with. Yeah. That's great. I feel like teachers are really, you, you have so much potential to shape little minds or young minds that are developing. It's such an impactful thing. I remember my teachers, you know, from way back when kindergarten, some of the things that I do for my children today are because my kindergarten teacher did them for class, did mm -hmm. them in class. And I learned that and I took that away. And that's really special. And I know that it's hard because there's so much out there. Ugh, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, but I really commend those who do. Yeah, much harder now with social media too. Probably that's changed oh, yeah. up a lot, no oh, doubt. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's a, there's such a powerful momentum in that uh, positive and negative both. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 
I think we could talk all day about this subject, but we need to get to your piece. I know, we do. (laughs) Before we run out of time. But these are fantastic ideas, and I think we'll probably get back to some of them. But tell us about ICE, the story. What inspired it, and how did it develop on the page? I will. So um, ICE... ICE is actually uh, somewhat of a journey. Uh, uh, it's kind of about my journey as a father or a parent, but I, I'm hoping what it will wind up being is um, kind of a message or to, to, to all parents, or not even parents, just anybody that's striving to become the best version of themselves um, so they can somehow contribute to the greater good. I hope it's a, it's a wider audience, but I used the, the venue of parents and I wanted yeah. to um, show kind of the quiet surrender uh, or sacrifices that parents make on the daily. Because um, I think when you uh, choose to become a parent, it's almost, an, it's not almost, it's an about face in priorities and identity oh, from the yeah. moment you bring your Definitely. wee ones home. You're right. Yeah. So true. And I was thinking, um, gosh, I was just thinking about this the other day too, because I, I think that there are so many measured movements or actions that parents make every single day that somehow go into this final shaping of, of their their children mm-hmm. uh, it's been a couple of weeks now but i we were at mcdonald's i had taken my two boys to mcdonald's because it was my turn to make dinner and that's apparently what i do <laughs> uh, but I, i'll never forget there were there were there were two um elderly men uh, and they were sitting about two tables down, and one of them was crying. Oh. And it was kind of awkward. Um, but doing another confessional, I always buy uh, myself a $10 lottery ticket every week. So I had my $10 in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be my retirement plan, but it hasn't worked out too well. So <laughs> I love your perfect finance guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, goodness. That is hilarious. <laughs> But I remember we were sitting there and I, I wanted my boys to see this uh, exchange. So I took the $10 and they know that I buy my lottery ticket with it. But I went and um, we bought two $5 coffee coupons at the counter. And uh, I asked them to go up and hand them to these men. I love this. And they and, and they did. And, and I'll never forget it because the, the, the man who was crying started to cry harder. And uh, it was, there wasn't, it was, the, the words were spare. The exchange wasn't this rich conversation. It was, it was quite mm-hmm. spare. But I just you remember. mean between th- your kids and the, and when they handed the. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like no words needed to be spoken or yeah, something. It was right. one of those yeah, yeah. magical moments that it sounds yeah. sentimental, but it really unfolded this way. Yeah. yeah. But when we got in the truck, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I really want to hear what they have to say. And, and it, it, it was one of these little grains of sand that I think parents do constantly in order to eventually shape this dune or beach in the end that is our children. And I'm I'm Hmm. selfishly almost, I was thinking when we pulled away, I hope that they remember this, this moment. And then it becomes one of the, actually, I really like that metaphor. Now that I'm saying it out loud that I hope I do too. Yeah. This sand (laughs) particle. Yeah. Yes. I was setting your thinking. I I was silent for a second because I was thinking of that. I was like, this is genius. I just want to listen to this man. I love it. 
Well, thank you. I don't know if my kids would think that's there, but yeah, I, I yeah. I, the more I think about it, because uh, you know, in the end, when all of these sand particles are put together, the beach is going to have its scars and it's going to be flawed. But I think parents will be able to step back and 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 look at this beach and and see those scars as, hey, maybe uh, this this beach is is this magical or magnificent because of those late night chats that we had. Um, you know the ones where you're you're tired and you want to go to bed and you're holding your eyes open, but you're listening to them talk about little Johnny who belched at recess. Like for oh, 20 wow. minutes. It's really making me feel horrible because at night when I'm tired and ready to go to bed, I just say, just stop. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Tell me tomorrow. <laughs> hey, you know, but that's another grain of sand that's probably working. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're probably like, oh, mom, it's terrible. <laughs> But that, you know what? The, no, I, I like this. I think that, that to, and I'm sorry, I'm tangenting here, but that that, that is really kind of, I, I'm learning this as I'm speaking, that this is what the story is about. Mm. Uh, it really has nothing to do with with ice fishing. What, ha- what happened was I, um, I didn't grow up learning those things. And uh, all of a sudden I find myself in this fatherhood role and my sons are saying, hey, I, I, I want to know how to hunt. I want to know how to fish. And I'm thinking, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, I, I don't know how to do those things. Yeah. But I am going to confront whatever insecurities are stemming from my childhood. And I'm going to do them for you. And I'm going to learn. I might fumble through them. Uh, we you might have to learn them the together. You know, but yeah. I, I'm going to do them for you. And this story is about all of those um those labors, I guess, that we endure and all of the, the sweat that they don't see and, and don't necessarily, they probably shouldn't see. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's good eventually for them to, but when they become adults, whether they're parents or not, they'll look back and they'll see those things mm-hmm. and they'll know. I think that's if, you know, whether it's a parent or whether you're sacrificing of yourself for anyone, I mean, it can be anyone in your family, friends, you know, think whoever you're sacrificing for, they don't always have to know it at the time, but eventually there will come a time where they will realize, Hey, this person did a lot for me. And then they will in turn, like, you know, it's that shaping. I love this explanation. It makes the story so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. That's a really awesome backstory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's very cool for sure. Well, it's funny because you, this is a very deep conversation. We don't it, normally, sometimes we have them, but yeah, not always. Yeah. I love them too. So I have to be careful not, I'll delve even deeper. <laughs> no, <we don't. laughs> Excuse me. Well, um, no, I was going to say, because my kids are 14 and soon to be 13 now. And um, just throughout this entire journey, I've had realizations of like, holy shit, my parents did all this stuff for me and I had no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you, yeah. you, as a kid, you really don't, you're not aware of it. But then when you become that, like you said, when you have that child, your focus changes and then you learn as you go, like, wow, you know, just the whole, you know, baby phase and toddler and everything, that whole process, you're just always realizing, wow, how much work, you know, my parents actually did because how much work you do, you know, yeah. when you're doing anyway. I'm waiting for that day when my kids realize that Elf on the Shelf is me and then they can, they can be like, wow, you're amazing. (laughs) And they will be because you are. (laughs) Damn you, Elf on the Shelf. I know. (laughs) We started that. 
And I said, no way. Because I forgot to move it once or twice. And they're like, you didn't move. I'm like, and I just thought they were too smart. I'm like, I've got to figure it out. I can't wait to. I was like, but he wrote like a goodbye letter and that was it. Uh, <laughs> that's hysterical. I love that. Man, we got into it. I see posts online that says, no elf on the shelf here. And I am happy about it. But I'm telling you, that little elf, he's a ton of work. He is a ton of work. He's mischievous. He is everything you don't <laughs> want to be. But I love him. I love him. It's And it's part of the – I'm hoping they'll remember that. And, oh, they will for sure. And yeah. they'll know, like, I, I do crazy stuff too, you guys. Like, <laughs> Yeah. flower all over the floor he's doing um, he's doing snow angels in the flower and i'm like i'm the one who has oh to boy. clean this up why I am know. i doing this <laughs> has he peed uh, green in the toilet yet though oh wow <laughs> no we wow. went there yeah goodness that, gracious all that right is wild okay all right yeah. that's a new one we can i know that. i like he has it taken bubble baths baths oh. with peppermint and I think, why? Why is he doing this? Like candy canes? He, oh, never mind. We're 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 way we going are, off topic. Yes, but I could really are. talk about Elf on the Shelf for a while. But we I went love from this. deep to fluff. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, but, but really, it's all related. You know, what? Yeah. I liked what you said about it because I don't want this story. It it is. I, I I used parenthood as the tool or the vessel, but I, yeah. I don't. I think the sacrifices are are just uh, from humanity in general. You know, again, just smiling at the stranger or mm-hmm. yeah. sure I go sure. back to teaching because it's what I know about how many times have I had to play dumb and have thick skin so the child or student can come to that recognition on their own you yeah know, ask these questions that I know the answers to and have them make fun of me but it's like hey I'm going to sacrifice hopefully and that the ripple effect and I might never know what the ripple effect is it's not my yeah, business right. the hard part right yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right, well, let's start some writing here. We're almost 20 minutes in. <laughs> no way. Are you serious? 18 minutes. Well, we can go. We can always go over a little longer if we need to. So. Well, so you've been published in a lot of places and won awards, as Melissa mentioned kind of in your intro. How do you attribute your success? Why do you think that's the case? What have you done? <laughs> no, that's a, wow, that's a good one. Uh, I think... As far as me succeeding as a writer, gosh, this is this one's a deep one too. Uh, I, I well, good. I'm ready for your other deep answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I and I, I alluded to this uh, to this in another interview that I had not too long ago, but I think it actually bears repeating. Uh, I. I am a a man of faith, and I believe that we are are here to uh, serve a purpose so Ooh. and I feel that uh, if, 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 if I'm being tapped on the shoulder to write a story and I've been gifted with that I actually had to have this moment where I said because I, I wanted to throw in the towel not too long ago and I actually did hmm. for a while Really, uh, I did uh, I said I've had enough and- this isn't worth it uh, these 4 30 a.m. writing sessions you just felt worn out? Worn out, and um, yes, and I, I refuse to let my my own dream pursuits impact uh, my children's. Oh, um, goodness, I know that feeling. Yeah, it's tiring. Yeah, it is. It is, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to miss a soccer match because I have a writing deadline and, the, the, you know, yeah. that whole conflict. But I, I had a long, um, hard look at myself, and... I, I brought my faith back into it and I said, hey, 
if I'm being tapped on the shoulder to write a story, there is a reason. Yeah. And, and it might not be about me. It probably isn't about me in the end because there might be a reader out there that I will never know. I will never yeah. meet. And again, it's none of my business. But I, if I'm supposed to write this story so that that person can hear it and who knows what where they might go with it. It might impact the relationships. It might heal. It might hurt. It might haunt. It might uh, bring them to life again. It's I have... Um, an obligation to follow through even when it's hard it's no especially when it's hard yeah Mm -hmm. i have an obligation to keep writing i think i made i didn't mean to it sounded kind of cheesy but i uh, i said the phrase uh, a writer doesn't have a right not to write and uh, Mm. i believe that it, it might not be about you. Quit being selfish and get out of the way and do the hard work and write the piece. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Wow. And that and that is, I think, where my, I don't want to say success, I, but that that's You're what so keeps humble. me right. You have had success. You I can know, say that's that. okay. Exactly. <laughs> You're not bragging because we're asking. Right. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yes. Okay. I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just own it. Own your success. That, that is okay. It is not conceited. I promise. I'm tapping you on the shoulder. I'm saying it's okay. <laughs> I yes, I I I have I have, I am published because I chose to follow through. Yeah. I and love it, oh. that. I love that answer. So before that though, how did you 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 went started in finance, you went into teaching. How did you start writing in that teaching space and when? Oh, it's a very definitive moment. Uh, I absolutely okay. can see it all the time. Uh, so in Harbor Springs, which is this awful, terrible place to live up north. <laughs> I'm never going to visit there. <laughs> Even the name sounds horrible. It is. It's awful. Uh, but there, Springs. <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's a stretch of beach, and it, it is the, the locals know it, and it's, it's called Good Heart Beach. Oh, my beach. goodness. There's even a beach there? Oh, it's all beaches, yeah. Ugly beaches. All right. I'm just going to yeah. write that down so I know to avoid it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I remember sitting on the beach. It was after all of the um, the tourists had left for the season. And uh, it's quite a it's, – it's a little bit creepy. There's a – you have to walk through the stretch of woods, and then there's, like, this graveyard behind you. But then you, like, walk out, and it's like, oh, my gosh, look at this. And um, – I was sitting there and I don't know what happened, but my imagination started to wander. And uh, I pictured this, this boy and he was floating belly up in the water. Uh, and he had been killed and he was floating. And I was looking at his corpse in my, in my mind's eye. Mm. And some kind of strange shift happened, happened to me. And I, I, um, I kind of just fell in love with this kid and I, I, I wanted justification or vindication for whatever happened to him and I became kind of obsessed and I, I just started writing stuff wow. down and then it morphed and I remember uh, I even went back to the beach several times and sat there in the, like when it was getting dark because I wanted to feel the fear that he must have felt and oh my goodness Ooh, wow. but I wound up you know I wound up writing the story oh yeah the, the story was I I didn't had no idea about the writing process or anything like that. Right. I, yeah. I, I wrote this uh, turd of a story. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. Like the it was the spaghetti junction as far as like 
plot lines and stuff. And I think at one moment he yeah. contemplatively looked out over the horizon or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and but, he was dead. <laughs> he was dead, yes. The, <laughs> but, the, you know, the bottom line is it, 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 it didn't matter because I thought, oh, my gosh, the, the, the power that this holds. Like, I... Yeah. I, I could actually uh, help or heal or stir or I look what I can do with my pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, it, you know, then it just uh, the process. I, I, I wound up eventually uh, writing a short flash fiction piece and I sent it to a place called Cafe Afra in the United Kingdom. And then they asked for another one. And then they asked me to be an editor for them. Uh, and then it just wow. started picking up. And my wife's like, okay, we need to, we need to find the money. We're gonna. You need to go get your MFA. We need to, to move this along. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. I love that. So you were still in finance at that point? Nope, I was. Teacher. Or were you teaching? You were teaching. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Wow. What a cool beginning story to your writing. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever look back and see if such a if if any death did happen on that beach? Oh uh, no, but uh, it that that still. It still shows up. I just had a piece uh, published recently, and it was um, it was about the Edmund Fitzgerald, but it was about uh, getting into the minds of two of the men that were sinking with the ship. Oh. You know, so there's still like this Lake yeah. Michigan, Lake Superior, actually, but the Great Lakes connection haunts that I still think shows up. There's some kind of uh, wonder in in the majesty of the water up here. Oh. I agree with that just in general. I mean, we always go to the beach. It was a Florida beach, nothing like the horrible, you know, Harbor Springs beach. But <laughs> <laughs> there is something powerful and magical about the water. It's, it's really neat. And, and everything you described really put the visual in my mind. So that's, yeah. that's really cool. You know, what's funny is I think it's powerful and magical, but I think it's, uh, it's also merciless as well you know like yeah the ability to just swallow people whole and, and like, agreed mm-hmm. it's like endless oh right yeah, yeah. it's raw mm-hmm. yeah i like that yeah wow um well, this has taken us into like stephen king territory with the vision of the boy floating you know turning <laughs> yes. into reality i know yeah i know it. well you know you never know i mean maybe maybe you yeah. actually felt something yeah, i don't know how any of that works no. but i'm open to the idea sure yeah, that's very cool Okay, so you had this amazing moment where you're like, I have this idea, I'm going to make it happen. So then what, so what was your writing process and or what is your writing process? Yes, very curious. Yeah, if, if I'm honest, I don't know if I, I, I didn't really have a writing process back there because I, I never in a million years would have thought growing up that I would be like writing books would be something that would be in something I could grasp or attain or yeah. it just wasn't yeah. even feasible, you know, yeah. um, when I think about, well, of mice and men or something like that, it's like, no, I, I couldn't create something like that, you know? So I didn't really right, have a process right. or anything. I was just writing down my thoughts and, um, but I will say I have morphed into a process and it, it does revolve around my lifestyle and my priorities as a, as a husband, father, teacher, um, but my writing process, you know, it, it's 4.30 to 6.30 a.m. Um, mm, yeah. I the, love those hours. Yeah. They, you know, it, it, it's tiresome, but it's also uh, the stillness or the calm that it that it brings yeah. to mm-hmm. it. 
That's what mm-hmm. I say every time. Those are stolen hours that not everybody has. And mm-hmm. I feel so secretive when I take those hours, though I have not been waking up at five lately. But there, it's really, it's a beautiful time. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where 95% of my work has, has, uh, has been crafted. Um, as far as their actual writing process, I, I'm one of the people that just simply jots down everything and vomits it out. Uh, and then goes so back no mm, no, well i i have uh finished my novel manuscript uh, which is being circulated right now um and i was told that you know i won a, a contest uh where you could send in a piece of your novel and mm-hmm. um if you if you won then you got to work with this uh, new york times best-selling author I, it was it was amazing oh, great yeah but, you know, it, it was funny because she's, <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to say her name here, but she, that's fine. She kind of just said, you know, you need to sit down and we're going to plot this out. And I did see yeah. like, okay, yeah. I get it. It's reminded me of like math or finance again. So I was having PTSD <laughs> there, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do, I get it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess now, yes, I do vomit it out, but there is a knowing that I'm going to have to actually apply structure and, and back into these things. Yeah. 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 It's really fun how you can do that in different ways. I've done that. I've, I've plotted first and then written, and then I've written first and then plotted and they're both valid. Yeah. I agree. So and I think each ways. piece is calling you to do something different too. I agree too. The, yeah. it, like your piece kind of dictates to you, I think yep. how yep. you should go about it. Mm-hmm. I agree. You said your novel was being circulated. So what is what does that mean? Are you approaching agents? Do you have an agent and your your manuscript is out to editors? Where is it in the process? Okay, so um, I I had, I had sent it out again, just this whole new world to me. So I had sent it out to um, several agents and, and received all the rejections. And uh, but then I had a friend who is one of my mainstay readers for anything that I write. And he said, Chad, you, you never know, like the, everything changes with the wind here. Uh, send it back out. Don't put it on a shelf yet. And it, it was the strangest thing. I just recently, I started sending it back out and, um, but I didn't go the agent route. I started entering it in contests Ooh. and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it wound up being, uh, long listed in from the, uh, Caledonia novel award. It was long listed for blue pencil. And then uh, it was shortlisted for the first novel competition out of out of London. Uh, wow! And right now it's wow, actually very cool. It's made it to the the quarterfinals stages in this cinematic uh, cinematic novel for Screencraft. So wow. it's it's and I, you know the friend that I'm talking about were kind of competitive, so I had to eat crow because I didn't want to give him credit and say you're right. <laughs> Actually, I still don't think I have, honestly, uh, but I will. I will give him his due. But my thing, again, to, to go back to any anybody who might be listening that says, I'm going to put this on the shelf, I, you, you just, you, you never know, and you might not have the right uh, to keep it on the shelf. Get it back yeah. out, yeah. and and you know it, it just could have been the, the particular mood of one person that read it that day. Exactly. Uh, try yeah. try and try again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've said on the show too. A lot of times we'll get stories. It's weird. It's almost like a bunch of stories will come in on a theme. 
So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, we don't want to have four stories about ice fishing. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> yeah. we pick one right. and the other ones, but they might be really good. You know what I mean? It's just like, we can only handle. So, so same with agents, right? Melissa knows. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, they only want so much of one kind of category probably yeah. that they're if, trying to shop. And if they're already representing something similar, you might get passed by. And right. Yeah. Even though you're good. Yeah. So I think right. that speaks to your try and try again, because it just takes, you know, the right person at the right time and dedication to your, to your goals. Absolutely. Yeah, good for you. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, so who is your first reader then? And we are coming up on time. We should probably start to have maybe one or two more questions and then we'll get to our last question. So who is your first reader? Well, if I'm completely honest, my first reader is my, <laughs> my wife, um, Good. That's what I was wondering. I yeah. was wondering too, because some spouses won't read. Right. Oh, so <laughs> I had a... <laughs> Does she, she demand to be the first reader? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a piece not too long ago. I don't know where it came from. And I, I'm sure you guys, you, you can relate. That I, After I wrote it, I looked at it and goes, what the hell is wrong with me? And uh, I went and handed it to uh, my wife. And it was about this, this man who was trying to um, dodge the draft in the civil war and he, he, he was up, up in the barn loft and he was uh, getting ready to pull out his teeth so that he uh, would be disqualified. And uh, mm. the, oh my the whole thing is a thousand words, but it's all about him, like putting the, the pliers up there and it makes me. Oh, cr- oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. My wife made the same face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she even said, uh, how about no eye contact for just a couple days? here?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but she is my first reader and she is very you know lovingly uh willing to say pursue this one or uh, try something else yeah yeah i think that's great to have her be honest as well that you can count on her to be honest Mm -hmm. because some you know some readers friends family they just say anything is good Right. And they may not know to say otherwise. They may think it's good, you know, but there's having somebody who will actually tell you when it's not good is invaluable, I think. I agree. Uh, My husband. hmm? I've actually had to leave a a writing group at one point because they're just amazing people and you can't get mad at them because they're just like they want to lift you up and buoy you and whatnot. It's like, I really appreciate it, but tell me I suck when I suck. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. It's, well, it's, the writing group. Go ahead, Melissa. No, I was just saying it was part of the process. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, the writing group that we're we've been in and uh, various other ones. Usually, it's we call it the sandwich method. So you probably might even know as a teacher. You know, you say something positive, and then you say some things that for you personally, you know, um, didn't work or could, you might critique, and then you end on something positive. Mm. So that you know and. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, I know there should that's be rules rule. like that. Yeah. There should definitely because it's otherwise it could be like a you just get beat the pulp out of you. You know what so I mean? True, <laughs> yeah. I never follow that. Or method, the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's all great. And it's like no, it's not all great. No, it's not. You don't follow that method, huh? No, well, no, there's I'm supposed to, but every time I open my mouth, I never do that. I just realize <laughs> I'm just thinking about that, and I'm probably like I should probably not be. I should probably not critique. No, I've had no. you've critiqued some things for me, and you say positive things. I and know, but I don't things. use the sandwich method. I just say. Well, that's just that in-person thing. Yeah, not like if you're editing. It's a, a good thing to think about, though, because yes. people need to hear the positives about their story. If there are none, then you probably shouldn't say anything, 
right? You wow, can, you can always find something. See, you and no, I, we've no. had this conversation before. And I'm always like, there's something you can like about every story. You have story. good handwriting. Well, <laughs> I type this. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Yeah. The space between the sentence, every word is amazing. I, yeah. I mean, wow. You know how to put words on a page. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I am going to use the sandwich method. I'm going to, I'm going to at least apply it or talk about it. I like, I like the wording of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't take credit. I think one of our uh, one of our leaders of the group, local group here is one that proposed it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea because you do need to hear the positives because the writing, if you only hear the negative, it can shut you down because yeah. that's so personal, the, the words that you put on the page. And then if you're like, well, I'm garbage, you, you might put right. something away. Right. That, and that's that, just yeah. that's not just about uh, art or writing. That's just, I think, uh, life in general. Like, yeah, is. good point. You're it right. It is, yeah. yeah. And we tend to, it's it's psychologically um, proven that we tend to focus on the negative more than the positive, even if there has, positive has been shared. Sure. Right, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I recommend a positivity wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. I have one. I got cork boards and anything somebody, because I would dwell on the negative in my writing. And I'm not a negative person. I have a, you know, they say you have a thick skin. I don't, I, I think I'm pretty good at taking criticism, Mm -hmm. but I was in a place where I felt beaten down by the critiques that I was getting and it was really getting in my head. And I, I realized when I look back, when I would send out, you know, agent, when I was trying to get an agent at the time before I got my lovely agent, um, you know, and you got these rejections, you feel like, okay, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to fall into that hole. And there's, there has always been somebody who has said something positive to you along the way. You don't focus on it. You forget about it. And a reminder of that is nice. And so I will, I force myself, even though it feels a little bit cheesy every time I do that. I'm like, I need to see these positive thoughts on my wall. No, it's, it's really important. I, I really believe that that's important to remember the positive things that people do say. And so, yeah, I put those up and, and I, when I read them, I get a boost Absolutely. every single time. I have an envelope yeah. where I've had, um, you know, notes that, that students have written me over the uh, the last 25 years. And yes, I, I open that envelope all the time. Aww. It's a, it's a positivity yeah. mindset. You know, I just um, yeah. talked to um, some seniors recently because they were stressed out about college decisions and whatnot and I had to stop them and I'm like wait a minute you guys this these are choices that you get to make like this is this is a yeah. positive thing don't don't be negative yeah. about it you know yeah yeah good point and every rejection that you get is information absolutely and that you can apply and so it's like oh bonus material I will take this I will fix it and now I have actionable an actionable step that I can take right you know, yeah, I, yeah. so it's it's all in how you look at things for a lot of for for a lot of things in life. I think. Good. Definitely, I think I see rejection letters as like steps forward. So the more you get, the faster forward you're going because yeah, <laughs> it means you're trying and you're putting your stuff out there, and yeah. you can't go forward without someone so giving true. you their thoughts. Yeah. Well, I've had rejection letters where I just absolutely, and I wasn't being arrogant, but I just absolutely vehemently disagreed with something, and I thought, wait, this is good because I, I'm telling myself i'm not moving on. i'm not budging on this this one and it yeah and it yeah. stayed but it, yeah. it forced me to think about it at least and there's nothing yeah, bad to have that, an right. answer yeah 
Mm-hmm. I like that. And I like that too. Every rejection is a step forward. I've re- I think that's great. Okay. And if you're not getting rejections, that you're not moving. You're not right? doing. You're just sitting still. Yeah. You're not getting anywhere. Oh, wow. I'm motivated. What a, what a, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not sure what kind of blurb I'm going to put on this uh, podcast. Ready to get, get jazzed. <laughs> Go deep with Chad Brofman. So. <laughs> anyway. Well, so I think we are coming up on time for sure now. And let's get to our last question, which is if you would share a piece of writing advice or writing resource that you found helpful on your writing journey with um, kind of those burgeoning writers that are listening to the show. Not that you haven't already given tons of girls. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't, I, um, I, I would like to give some practical things and then I'll, sure. I'll step back up on my soapbox with a bigger picture one, but uh, I do think and I'm going to step outside of the writing again one more time and just say whatever your dream is, uh, writer or not, uh, I I think it's crucial to take the time to imagine it. You have to to let it. I love that. You got to let it unfold in your mind's eye, and and see it. Uh, I tell my boys this even like uh, on the basketball court. You got to picture that shot going through the hoop, um, mm-hmm. and I. And for the sake of this podcast, so back to writing, I, I guess I would tell people um, it is not time misspent to picture your book cover uh, sitting on a shelf in Barnes & Noble and you walking past it. That is not time mm-hmm. misspent at all. I love that. <laughs> I yeah, love that. that's great. I would also, I uh, practically speaking, I would say um, one thing that has kind of helped me uh, is I go back once in a while and I will, will read chapters from authors uh, whom I admire uh, and, and just not for the sake of copying, but um, just to, I don't know, like, like when you look up at the stars, what's the poem? The Learned Astronomer, I think. I had to remind myself that when you look up at the stars and you, you see the beauty of it, um, as opposed to when you take an astronomy class and you learn all the science behind the stars. No, I don't want the science. I want to look up and remember what the, the majestic stuff is again. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll go back uh, cause I'm so used to reading novels for um, craft advice or okay. Like critically reading them. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back once in a while and just read it for the pure entertainment value and be right. Yeah. You know, dazzled by it. And then the last one I would say, too, is that uh, once in a while, if I'm really stuck, uh, I will uh, take a walk outside, but I will I will take a walk as my character. So when I'm walking outside, yeah, I will, how would this character look at this tree? You know, I, I try to, to, to be them and just walk and be wow. in their space for a couple blocks. Very cool. Like an ah, actor. That's a, that's, yeah. 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 So my bigger soapbox one back again is I think I'm going to go back to that because I do, I, I, I want to remind people who might be on the cusp of giving up or who might be doubting uh, themselves. I don't, I don't think that you have the right to quit. So maybe if you factor yourself out or step out of it and say, this isn't about me anymore there's a reader out there that, that needs me to to finish this piece. That would be my bigger wow. picture advice. That's such All a right. great way of looking at, you know, 
it's not it's not about you and you know they tell you that in writing you know you're not writing for yourself you're writing for your reader and so that's that kind of goes along those same lines. I tell you, what a fantastic interview. I really like you, Chad. <laughs> oh my gosh, Thank ditto. You. Ditto, I could do this I all know. day. It has <laughs> been so fun. I feel really bad, too, because one of my characters in my, my novel's name is Chad. Oh, He's not the nicest. He is not a nice person. Oh, he dies, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. No. I probably wish he does. <laughs> and I feel bad now. But in the, in the sequel, he's great. He's okay. completely changed and he's wonderful. So right, we'll get to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, well... Chad, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, and thanks for submitting ICE and uh, giving us the opportunity to share it with the world. So thanks for coming on. I do have to say really, really fast that uh, in listening sure. to a couple of the podcasts, I wanted to uh, give you kudos or a shout out because you have a very, um, uh, it's almost instinctive calm, calming about you um, to, to make people comfortable expressing themselves and uh, telling truths. Um, rather than this just being an interview you guys are very gifted at what yeah. you do so so thank you oh thank you. that's very kind of you that, thank you so much that sure. means a lot to hear yeah that's great boy i'm gonna walk out here i don't think my head's gonna fit through the door <laughs> <laughs> when does it usually <laughs> oh man ow every day it's so tiny i can't even see it <laughs> anyway <laughs> all right no We'll leave it there. Thanks again, Chad. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please do us a huge favor and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to tell your writer friends. Ratings and word of mouth are our best tools for expanding the reach of the magazine and podcast. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you're feeling extra generous, you can support us at patreon.com slash onyx publications or buymeacoffee.com slash onyx publication with no s as a nano publishing house we are always looking for new works to showcase if you'd like to submit a story or poems for consideration please visit the submissions page on our website in the meantime keep reading and writing <laughs>